0: Section 15 of The World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris A. Robertson. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 1, by Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 15 adventure of the black fisherman by washington irving the leading anxiety which had hitherto absorbed every feeling being now in some measure appeased, fancy began to wander and to conjure up a thousand shapes and chimeras as he returned through this haunted region Pirates hanging in chains seemed to swing from every tree, and he almost expected to see some Spanish don with his throat cut from ear to ear, rising slowly out of the ground and shaking the ghost of a money-bag. Their way back lay through the desolate garden, and Wolfert's nerves had arrived at so sensitive a state that the flitting of a bird and rustling of a leaf or the falling of a nut was enough to startle him. As they entered the confines of the garden, they caught sight of a figure at a distance advancing slowly up one of the walks, and bending under the weight of a burden. They paused and regarded him attentively. He wore what appeared to be a woolen cap, and, still more alarming, of a most sanguinary red. The figure moved slowly on, ascended the bank, and stopped at the very door of the sepulchre vault. Just before entering it he looked around— What was the affright of Wolfert when he recognized the grisly visage of the drowned buccaneer? He uttered an ejaculation of horror. The figure slowly raised his iron fist and shook it with a terrible menace. Wolfert did not pause to see any more, but hurried off as fast as his legs could carry him. Nor was Sam slow in following at his heels, having all his ancient terrors revived. Away, then, did they scramble through the bush and break, horribly frightened at every bramble that tugged at their skirts, nor did they pause to breathe until they had blundered their way through this perilous wood, and fairly reached the high road to the city. Several days elapsed before Wolfert could summon courage enough to prosecute the enterprise, so much had he been dismayed by the apparition, whether living or dead, of the grisly buccaneer. In the meantime, what a conflict of mind did he suffer! he neglected all his concerns was moody and restless all day lost his appetite wandered in his thoughts and words and committed a thousand blunders his rest was broken and when he fell asleep the nightmare in shape of a huge money-bag sat squatted upon his breast he babbled about incalculable sums fancied himself engaged in money-digging through the bedclothes right and left in the idea that he was shoveling away the dirt, groped under the bed in quest of the treasure, and lugged forth, as he supposed, an inestimable pot of gold. Dame Webber and her daughter were in despair at what they conceived a returning touch of insanity. There are two family oracles, one or other of which Dutch housewives consult in all cases of great doubt and perplexity, the dominie and the Doctor. In the present instance they repaired to the Doctor. There was at that time a little dark, mouldy man of medicine, famous among the old wives of the Manhattos for his skill, not only in the healing art, but in all matters of strange and mysterious nature. His name was Dr. Nipperhausen, but he was more commonly known by the appellation of the High German Doctor. To him did the poor women repair for counsel and assistance, touching the mental vagaries of Wolfert Weber they found the doctor seated in his little study clad in his dark camelot robe of knowledge with his black velvet cap after the manner of Borhaver, van Helmont, and other medical sages a pair of green spectacles set in black horn upon his clubbed nose and poring over a german folio that reflected back the darkness of his physiognomy the doctor listened to their statement of symptoms of wolfert's malady with profound attention But when he came to mention his raving about buried money, the little man pricked up his ears. Alas, poor women, they little knew the aid they had called in. Dr. Nipperhausen had been half of his life engaged in seeking the shortcuts to fortune, in quest of which so many a long lifetime is wasted. He had passed some years of his youth among the Harz Mountains of Germany, and had derived much valuable instruction from the miners touching the mode of seeking treasure buried in the earth. He had prosecuted his studies also under a traveling sage who united the mysteries of medicine with magic and legerdemain. His mind, therefore, had become stored with all kinds of mystic lore. He had dabbled a little in astrology, alchemy, divination, knew how to detect stolen money, and to tell where springs of water lay hidden. In a word, by the dark nature of his knowledge, he had acquired the name of the High German Doctor, which is pretty nearly equivalent to that of necromancer. The doctor had often heard rumors of treasure being buried in various parts of the island, and had long been anxious to get on the traces of it. No sooner were Wolfert's waking and sleeping vagaries confided to him than he beheld in them the confirmed symptoms of a case of money-digging, and lost no time in probing it to the bottom. Wolfert had long been sorely oppressed in mind by the golden secret, and as a family physician is a kind of father-confessor. He was glad of any opportunity of unburdening himself. So far from the curing the doctor caught the malady from his patient. The circumstances unfolded to him awakened all his cupidity. He had not a doubt of money being buried somewhere in the neighborhood of the mysterious crosses, and offered to join Wilford in the search. He informed him that much secrecy and caution must be observed in enterprises of this kind, that money is only to be dug for at night. With certain forms and ceremonies and burning of drugs, the repeating of mystic words, and, above all, that the seekers must first be provided with the divining rod, which had the wonderful property of pointing to the very spot on the surface of the earth under which treasure lay hidden. As the doctor had given much of his mind to these matters, he charged himself with all the necessary preparations, and, as the quarter of the moon was propitious, he undertook to have the divining rod ready by a certain night. Wilford's heart leaped with joy at having met so learned and able a coadjutor. Everything went on secretly, but swimmingly. The doctor had many consultations with his patient, and the good women of the household lauded the comforting effect of his visits. In the meantime, the wonderful divining-rod, that great key to nature's secrets, was duly prepared the doctor had thumbed over all his books of knowledge for the occasion and the black fisherman was engaged to take him in his skiff to the scene of enterprise to work with a spade and pickaxe in unearthing the treasure and to freight his bark with the weighty spoils they were certain of finding at length the appointed night arrived for this perilous undertaking before wolfert left his home he counselled his wife and daughter to go to bed and feel no alarm if he should not return during the night Like reasonable women, on being told not to feel any alarm, they fell immediately into a panic. They saw at once by his manner that something unusual was in agitation. All their fears about the unsettled state of his mind were revived with tenfold force. They hung about him, entreating him not to expose himself to the night air, but all in vain. When once Wolfert was mounted on his hobby, it was no easy manner to get him out of the saddle. It was a clear, starlit night when he issued out of the portal of the Weber palace. He wore a large, flapped hat, tied under the chin with a handkerchief of his daughter's, to secure him from the night's damp, while Dane Weber threw her long red cloak about his shoulders and fastened it around his neck. The doctor had been no less carefully armed and encountered by his housekeeper, the vigilant Frau Ilse, and sallied forth in his camlet robe by way of surcoat, his black velvet cap under his cocked hat, a thick clasped book under his arm, a basket of drugs and dried herbs in one hand, and in the other the miraculous rod of divination. The great church clock struck ten as Wolfert and the doctor passed by the churchyard, and the watchman bawled in hoarse voice a long and doleful, All's well! A deep sleep had already fallen upon this primitive little burrow, Nothing disturbed this awful silence, excepting now and then the bark of some profligate night-walking dog, or the serenade of some romantic cat. It is true, Wilford fancied more than once, that he heard the sound of a stealthy footfall at the distance behind them, but it might have been merely the echo of their own footsteps along the quiet streets. He thought also at one time that he saw a tall figure skulking after them, stopping when they stopped, and moving on as they proceeded." but the dim and uncertain lamplight threw such vague gleams and shadows that this might all have been mere fancy. They found the old fisherman waiting for them, smoking his pipe in the stern of the skiff, which was moored just in front of his little cabin. A pickaxe and spade were lying in the bottom of the boat with a dark lantern, and a stone bottle of good Dutch courage, in which honest Sam no doubt put even more faith than Dr. Nipperhausen in his drugs thus then did these three worthies embark upon their cockle-shell of a skiff upon this nocturnal expedition with a wisdom and valour equalled only by the three wise men of gotham who had ventured to sea in a bowl the tide was rising and running rapidly up the sound the current bore them along almost without the aid of an oar the profile of the town lay all in shadow here and there a light feebly glimmered from some sick chamber or from the cabin window of some vessel at anchor in the stream. Not a cloud obscured the deep, starry firmament, the lights of which wavered on the surface of the placid river, and a shooting meteor, streaking its pale course in the very direction they were taking, was interpreted by the doctor into a most propitious omen. In a little while they glided upon the point of Corlier's Hook, with the rural inn which had been the scene of such night adventures. The family had retired to rest, and the house was dark and still. Wolfert felt a chill pass over him as they passed the point where the buccaneer had disappeared. He pointed it out to Dr. Nipperhausen. While regarding it, they thought they saw a boat actually lurking at the very place, but the shore cast such a shadow over the border of the water that they could discern nothing distinctly. They had not proceeded far when they heard the low sounds of distant oars, as if cautiously pulled. Sam plied his oars with redoubled vigor, and knowing all the eddies and currents of the stream, soon left their followers, if such they were far astern. In a little while they stretched across Turtle Bay and Kip's Bay, then shrouded themselves in the deep shadow of the Manhattan shore, and glided swiftly along, secure from observation. At length the negro shot his skiff into a little cove, darkly embowered by trees, and made it fast to the well-known iron ring. They now landed, and, lighting the lantern, gathered their various implements, and proceeded slowly through the bushes. Every sound startled them, even that of their own footsteps among the dry leaves. The hooting of a screech-owl from the shattered chimney of the neighboring ruin made their blood run cold. In spite of all Wolfert's caution in taking note of the landmarks, it was some time before they could find the open place among the trees where the treasure was supposed to be buried. At length they came to the ledge of rock, and on examining its surface by the aid of lantern, Wolfert recognized the three mystic crosses. Their hearts beat quick, for the momentous trail was at hand that was to determine their hopes. The lantern was now held by Wolfert Weber, while the doctor produced the divining-rod. It was a forked twig, one end of which was grasped firmly in each hand, while the centre, forming the stem, pointed perpendicularly upward. The doctor moved his wand about, within a certain distance of the earth, from place to place, but for some time without any effect, while Wolfert kept the light of the lantern turned full upon it, and watched it with the most breathless interest. At length the rod began slowly to turn. The doctor grasped it with the greater earnestness. The doctor grasped it with greater earnestness, his hands trembling with the agitation of his mind. The wand continued to turn gradually, until, at length, the stem had reversed its position and pointed perpendicularly downward, and remained pointing to one spot as fixedly as the needle to its pole. "'This is the spot,' said the doctor, in an almost inaudible tone. Wolfert's heart was in his throat. "'Shall I dig?' said the negro, grasping the spade send no replied the little doctor hastily he now ordered his companions to keep close by him and to maintain the most inflexible silence that certain precautions must be taken and ceremonies used to prevent the evil spirits which kept about buried treasure from doing them any harm he then drew a circle about the place enough to include the whole party He next gathered dry twigs and leaves, and made a fire, upon which he threw certain drugs and dried herbs, which he had brought in his basket. A thick smoke rose, diffusing a potent odor savoring marvelously of brimstone and asafoetida, which, however grateful it might be to the olfactory nerves of spirits, nearly strangled poor Wolfert, and produced a fit of coughing and wheezing that made the whole grove resound. Dr. Nipperhausen then unclasped the volume which he had brought under his arm, which was printed in red and black characters in German text. While Wolfert held the lantern, the doctor, by the aid of his spectacles, read off several forms of conjuration in Latin and German. He then ordered Sam to seize the pickaxe and proceed to work. The close-bound soil gave obstinate signs of not having been disturbed for many a year, After having picked his way through the surface, Sam came to a bed of sand and gravel, which he threw briskly to right and left with the spade. "'Hark!' said Wolfert, who fancied he heard a trampling among the dry leaves and a rustling through the bushes. Sam paused for a moment, and they listened. No footstep was near. The bat flitted by them in silence. A bird, roused from its roost by the light which glared up among the trees, flew circling about the flame in the profound stillness of the woodland they could distinguish the current rippling among the rocky shore and the distant murmuring and roaring of Hellgate. the negro continued his labors and had already digged a considerable hole the doctor stood on the edge reading formulae every now and then from his black-letter volume or throwing more drugs and herbs upon the fire while wolfert bent anxiously over the pit watching every stroke of the spade any one witnessing the scene, thus lighted up by fire-lantern and the reflection of Wolfert's red mantle, might have mistaken the little doctor for some foul magician, busied in his incantations, and the grizzled-head negro for some swart goblin obedient to his command. At length the spade of the fisherman struck upon something that sounded hollow. The sound vibrated to Wolfert's heart. He struck his spade again. "'Tis a chest,' said Sam." "'Full of gold! I'll warrant it!' cried Wolfert, clasping his hands with rapture. Scarcely had he uttered the words when a sound from above caught his ear. He cast his eyes up, and lo, by the expiring light of the fire he beheld, just over the disk of the rock, what appeared to be the grim visage of the drowned buccaneer grinning hideously down upon him. Wolfert gave a loud cry and let the lantern fall. His panic communicated itself to his companions.' the negro leaped out of the hole the doctor dropped his book and basket and began to pray in german all was horror and confusion the fire was scattered about the lantern extinguished in their hurry scurry they ran against and confounded one another they fancied a legion of hobgoblins let loose upon them and that they saw by fitful gleams of the scattered embers strange figures in red caps gibbering and ramping around them the doctor ran one way the negro another and Wolfert made for the water side As he plunged struggling onward through the brush and brake, he heard the tread of someone in pursuit. He scrambled frantically forward. The footsteps gained upon him. He felt himself grasped by his cloak, when suddenly his pursuer was attacked in turn. A fierce fight and struggle ensued. A pistol was discharged that lit up the rock and bush for a second, and showed two figures grappling together. All was then darker than ever the contest continued the combatants clinched each other and panted and groaned and rolled among the rocks there was a snarling and growling of a cur mingled with curses in which wolfert fancied he could recognize the voice of the buccaneer he would fain have fled but he was on the brink of a precipice and could go no farther again the parties were on their feet again there was a tugging and struggling as if strength alone could decide the combat until one was precipitated from the brow of the cliff and sent headlong into the deep stream that whirled below wilfert heard the plunge and a kind of strangling bubbling murmur but the darkness of the night hid everything from him and the swiftness of the current swept everything instantly out of hearing one of the combatants was disposed of but whether friend or foe wilfert could not tell nor whether they might not both be foes. He heard the survivor approach, and his terror revived. He saw where the profile of the rocks rose against the horizon, a human form advancing. He could not be mistaken. It must be the buccaneer. Whither should he fly? A precipice was on one side, a murderer on the other. The enemy approached. He was close at hand. Wolford attempted to let himself down the face of the cliff, his cloak caught on a thorn that grew on the edge. He was jerked from off his feet and held dangling in the air, half-choked by the string with which his careful wife had fastened the garment around his neck. Wolfert thought his last moment was arrived. Already he had committed his soul to St. Nicholas when the string broke, and he tumbled down the banks, bumping from rock to rock and bush to bush, and leaving the red cloak fluttering like a bloody banner in the air. It was a long while before Wolfert came to himself. When he opened his eyes, the ruddy streaks of morning were already shooting up the sky. He found himself grievously battered and lying in the bottom of a boat. He attempted to sit up, but was too sore and stiff to move. A voice requested him in a friendly accent to lie still. He turned his eyes toward the speaker. It was Dirk Waldron. He had dogged the party at the earnest request of Dame Weber and her daughter, who, with the laudable curiosity of their sex, had pried into the secret consultations of Wolfert and the doctor dirk had been completely distanced in following the light skiff of the fisherman and had just come in time to rescue the poor money-digger from his pursuer thus ended this perilous enterprise the doctor and black sam severely found their way back to the Manhattos, each having some dreadful tale of peril to relate as to poor wolfert instead of returning in triumph laden with bags of gold he was borne home on a shutter followed by a rabble rout of curious urchins his wife and daughter saw the dismal pageant from a distance, and alarmed the neighborhood with their cries. They thought the poor man had suddenly settled the great debate of nature in one of his wayward moods. Finding him, however, still living, they had him speedily to bed, and a jury of old matrons of the neighborhood assembled to determine how he should be doctored. The whole town was in a buzz with the story of the money diggers. Many repaired to the scene of the previous night's adventures, but though they found the very place of the digging, they discovered nothing that compensated them for their trouble. Some say they found the fragments of an oaken chest and an iron-pot lid, which savoured strongly of hidden money, and that in the old family vault there were traces of bales and boxes. But this is all very dubious. In fact, the secret of all this story has never to this day been discovered, whether any treasure were ever actually buried at that place, whether, if so, it were carried off at night by those who had buried it, or whether it still remains there under the guardianship of gnomes and spirits, until it shall be properly sought for, is all a matter of conjecture. For my part, I incline to the latter opinion, and make no doubt that great sums lie buried there, both there and in other parts of this island and its neighbourhood, ever since the times of the buccaneers and the Dutch colonists, and I would earnestly recommend the search after them to such of my fellow-citizens as are not engaged in any other speculations. There were many conjectures formed, also, as to who and what the strange man of the seas, who had domineered over the little fraternity at Corlears Hook, for a time, disappeared so strangely, and reappeared so fearfully. Some supposed him a smuggler, stationed at that place to assist his comrades in landing their goods among the rocky coves of the island. Others, that he was one of the ancient comrades of Kidd or Bradish, returned to convey away treasures formerly hidden in the vicinity. The only circumstance that throws anything like a vague light on this mysterious matter is a report which prevailed of a strange, foreign-built shallop, with much the look of a picaroon, having been seen hovering about the sound for several days without landing or reporting herself, though boats were seen going to and from her at night, and that she was seen standing out of the mouth of the harbour, in the grey of the dawn, after the catastrophe of the money-diggers.' I must not omit to mention another report also, which I confess is rather apocryphal, of the buccaneer, who is supposed to have been drowned, being seen before daybreak with a lantern in his hand, seated astride of his great sea-chest, and sailing through hell-gate, which just then began to roar and bellow with redoubled fury. While all the gossip world was thus filled with talk and rumor, poor Wolfert lay sick and sorrowfully in his bed, bruised in body, and sorely beaten down in mind. His wife and daughter did all they could to bind up his wounds, both corporal and spiritual. The good old dame never stirred from his bedside, where she sat knitting from morning till night, while his daughter busied herself about him with the fondest care. Nor did they lack assistance from abroad. Whatever may be said of a desertion of friends in distress, they had no complaint of the kind to make. Not an old wife in the neighborhood, but abandoned her work to crowd the mansion of Wolfert Webber, to inquire after his health and the particulars of his story not one came moreover without her little pipkin of pennyroyal sage balm or other herb tea delighted at an opportunity of signalizing her kindness and her doctorship what drenchings did not the poor wolfert undergo and all in vain it was a moving sight to behold him wasting away day by day growing thinner and thinner and ghastlier and ghastlier and staring with rueful visage from under an old patchwork counterpane upon the jury of matrons kindly assembled to sigh and groan and look unhappy around him. Dirk Waldron was the only being that seemed to shed a ray of sunshine into the house of mourning. He came in with cheery look and manly spirit and tried to reanimate the expiring heart of the poor money-digger, but it was all in vain. Wolfert was completely done over. If anything was wanting to complete his despair, it was a notice served upon him in the midst of his distress that the corporation was about to run a new street through the very centre of his cabbage garden he now saw nothing before him but poverty and ruin his last reliance the garden of his forefathers was to be laid waste and what then was to become of his poor wife and child his eyes filled with tears as they followed the dutiful amy out of the room one morning dirk waldron was seated beside him wilfert grasped his hand pointed after his daughter and for the first time since his illness broke the silence he had maintained. "'I am going,' said he, shaking his head feebly. "'And when I am gone, my poor daughter!' "'Leave her to me, father,' said Dirk manfully. "'I'll take care of her.' Wolfert looked up in the face of the cheery, strapping youngster, and saw there was none better able to take care of a woman. "'Enough,' he said. "'She is yours. And now fetch me a lawyer. Let me make my will and die.' A lawyer was brought. A dapper, bustling, round-headed little man, Rohrbach, or Rolabach, as it was pronounced, by name. At the sight of him the women broke into loud lamentations, for they looked upon the signing of a will as the signing of a death-warrant. Wolfert made a feeble motion for them to be silent. Poor Amy buried her face in grief in the bed-curtain. Dame Weber resumed her knitting to hide her distress, which betrayed itself, however, in a pellucid tear which trickled silently down and hung at the end of her peaked nose, while the cat, the only unconcerned member of the family, played with the good dame's ball of worsted as it rolled about the floor. Wolford lay on his back, his nightcap drawn over his forehead, his eyes closed, his whole visage the picture of death. He begged the lawyer to be brief, for he felt his end approaching, and that he had no time to lose. The lawyer nibbed his pen, spread out his paper, and prepared to write. "'I give and bequeath,' said Wolfert faintly. "'My small farm.' "'What? All?' exclaimed the lawyer. Wolfert half-opened his eyes and looked upon the lawyer. "'Yes, all,' he said. "'What? All that great patch of land with cabbages and sunflowers "'which the corporation is going to run a main street through?' "'The same,' said Wolfert, with a heavy sigh, sinking back upon his pillow." "'I wish him joy that inherits it,' said the little lawyer, chuckling and rubbing his hands involuntarily. "'What do you mean?' said Wolfert, again opening his eyes. "'That he'll be one of the richest men in the place!' cried little Rollabuck. The expiring Wolfert seemed to step back from the threshold of existence. His eyes again lighted up. He raised himself in his bed, shoved his red worsted nightcap, and stared broadly at the lawyer. "'You don't say!' exclaimed he. "'Faith but I do!' rejoined the other. "'Why, when that great field and that huge meadow came to be laid out in the streets "'and cut up into snug building-lots, why, whoever owns it need not pull off his hat to the patroon!' "'Say you so?' cried Wolfert, half-thrusting one leg out of bed. "'Why, then I think I'll not make my will yet!' "'To the surprise of everyone, the dying man actually recovered.' the vital spark which had glimmered faintly in the socket received fresh fuel from the oil of gladness which the little lawyer poured into his soul it was once more burned up into a flame give physic to the heart ye who would revive the body of a spirit-broken man in a few days wolfert left his room in a few days more his table was covered with deeds plans of streets and building-lots little rollebuck was constantly with him his right-hand man and adviser and instead of making his will assisted him in the more agreeable task of making his fortune in fact wolfert Weber was one of those worthy dutch burghers of the Manhattos whose fortunes have been made in a manner in spite of themselves who have tenaciously held on to their hereditary acres, raising turnips and cabbage about the skirts of the city hardly able to make both ends meet, until the corporation has cruelly driven streets through their abodes, and they have suddenly awakened out of their lethargy and, to the astonishment, found themselves rich men. Before many months had elapsed, a great bustling street passed through the very centre of the Weber garden, just where Wolfert had dreamed of finding a treasure. His golden dream was accomplished. He did, indeed, find an unlooked-for source of wealth, for, when his paternal lands were distributed into building-lots and rented out to safe tenants, instead of producing a paltry crop of cabbages, they returned him an abundant crop of rent, insomuch that on quarter-day it was goodly sight to see his tenants knocking at the door from morning till night, each with a little round-bellied bag of money, a golden produce of the soil the ancient mansion of his forefathers was still kept up but instead of being a little yellow-fronted dutch house in a garden it now stood boldly in the midst of a street the grand home of the neighbourhood for wolfert enlarged it with a wing on each side and a cupola or tea-room on top where he might climb up and smoke his pipe in hot weather and in the course of time the whole mansion was overrun by chubby-faced progeny of amy webber and dirk Waldron. As Wolford waxed old and rich and corpulent, he also set up a great gingerbread-coloured carriage, drawn by a pair of black Flanders mares, with tails that swept the ground, and to commemorate the origin of his greatness, he had for his crest a full-blown cabbage painted on the panels, with the pithy motto, "Alles Kopf, that is to say, All Head, meaning thereby that he had risen by sheer headwork. To fill the measure of his greatness, in the fullness of time, the renowned Ram Rapali slept with his fathers, and Wolfert Webber succeeded to the leather-bottomed armchair in the inn-parlour at Corlier's Hook, where he long reigned greatly honoured and respected, insomuch that he was never known to tell a story without its being believed, nor to utter a joke without its being laughed at. End of Section 15 Recording by Chris Robertson. Kalamazoo, Michigan, www.krave-llc.com.